0: Good morning, and welcome to episode seventy of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In Long Beach, California, I'm Sam Miller. In New York, New York, he is Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm very well, thank you. And I'm excited that we're now ending a week on a episode that's a multiple of five. I've been looking forward to this since we started. <laughs> 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 Maybe I shouldn't have admitted that, but I've been looking forward to the day when we would miss an episode or we would have a vacation day and we would start on a one and finish on a five because it appeals to my sense of symmetry. Mm-hmm. So we can never miss a day again is what I'm saying.
0: Uh-huh. Unless we miss a whole week, which I would be just fine with. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we start, can I read a whole bunch of words
1: to you? Yes, please.
0: So I've been um, thinking for the last few days um, for various reasons about why I hate predictions and why um, I hate um, sort of, A, having to, to make them, and um, B, why I hate myself for so consistently um, dodging them. And um, I think I finally have gotten to the end of it, which is that I, I find that um, – there's very little value added to them. Most of them either reflect the conventional wisdom and therefore don't say much, or they're they're based on not very much evidence. That they're just sort of uh, trying to be interesting. Mm-hmm. And the writers who make these generally, I think, know this, and so they um, they they bolster them with uh, with with so much enthusiasm that they become um, sort of uh, too too provocative, uh, too bold. And the, the sense that you get from them then becomes even more uh, disconnected to truth. So anyway, um, so, so my favorite prediction piece, though, I've, I've had it open on it a, as, a, as a tab for three days. And it is finally officially wrong. So I'm just going to read a whole bunch of it because it's really beautiful. It's uh, by Bob Nightingale. Oh, I saw this.
1: I was going to send this to you the other day because it was,
0: <laughs> it was it's so, so over the top. That... It's so good. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So I'm going to read – I'll just excerpt it, but uh, I'll start about four paragraphs in. The Tigers are sorry to ruin the ending to this charming show, but the Giants' season is over. Detroit will win the World Series in five games. There may be more suspense watching the Giants grab a razor this winter and shaving those black beards thick enough to hold wildlife than viewing this public thrashing. The Giants haven't seen a team this powerful all year, and by this time next week, they won't know what hit them. The Tigers, like a caged boxer, know they are about to deliver an ugly whoopin', but will (laughs) refrain from providing clubhouse fodder. You see, they don't talk a lot. They don't bother with cute quotes. They are silent killers. They will come out and cold-heartedly bludgeon the Giants. They simply have two... Too much power, too much starting pitching, too much sheer talent. Do we really need to go into specifics? It's like performing an autopsy while the body is still breathing. <laughs> okay, do you want to talk about starting pitching? This will be a mismatch. The New York Yankees are absolutely clueless about the Tigers' rotation, so can you imagine how the Tigers will destroy the Giants' pea shooters? <laughs> this rotation, stats, 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 now they'll be facing the weakest lineup they've seen all year. <laughs> I like that
1: one. <laughs> that was the best, <laughs> best line. <laughs>
0: With not a single left-handed slugger available to counteract the Tigers' right-handed staff. It's true that how will the Giants ever get a home run from a left-handed hitter, Ben? (laughs) Everyone knows that well-rested ace Justin Verlander is the best pitcher on the planet. Once Verlander pitches his shutout in Game 1, there's a deadly arsenal right behind him. The Tigers won't have ace Matt Cain available until Game 4. You want to talk about power? Really, do you want to go there? The Tigers have the most lethal one-two punch since Aaron and Matthews. The two combined for 74 home runs. The Tiger, or the Giants had just one player who hit more than 12. Take away Melky Cabrera, and they had only two players who hit more than seven. We're not making this up. Oh, there's no denying the, the Tigers' bullpen stinks. Blah, blah. Yes, the defense can be shanky, shaky, and the Giants plan to test it, bunting like demons if they must. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Anyway, the Giants' glorious wine and cheese party with Tony Bennett crooning in the background is over. Uh, So there you go.
1: Yeah, I didn't know.
0: Giants, uh, Tigers, and Five.
1: (laughs) I didn't know what to think of that. It was like a WWE-style promo or something. And Bob Nightingale is normally just kind of a serious reporter type. Isn't he? Yeah. From what that, I've seen, I
0: mean, I assume he unpacked a lot of uh, he unpacked a lot of adjectives <laughs> that I don't think he's used before.
1: I assume they told him to just make uh, to use that sort of voice or something. I don't know. It was weird, uh, but I enjoyed it quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's delightful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so last night they played a game.
1: Yeah, and I wrote a recap of it, and every thought I had about the game, I put in the recap, so you could just go read it if you want, instead of listening to me, drone on about it, and I wouldn't blame you. Um, I guess, I mean, obviously the the most notable thing was Madison Bumgarner's performance. Uh, He was excellent. He had struggled with his command in his first two starts of the postseason, but did not struggle at all with it last night uh, He was hitting corners uh, He was getting called strikes on the outside corner Getting foul strikes on the inside corner Just completely avoiding the middle of the strike zone really Even if you even if you look at a plot of his pitches to lefties and righties combined There's still just a big empty circle in the middle Where he threw no pitches at all uh, Which is... I guess generally a good strategy if you can do it. Um, so that was impressive. We we talked about him the other day and about whether he was an ace and whether we trusted him, and the Giants did, and they were right.
0: Yeah, they were. And yet um, also I think that – well, I, I to be honest, I always have a little bit of a hard time evaluating uh, Bumgarner's stuff because – our angle of it is so different than the hitter's angle, and it's—I think it's probably really hard to actually um, appreciate uh, which you know how how the ball looks coming out of his hand. And so, whenever I watch him, I, I have to admit it—it it always surprises me um, how bad he can make hitters look. Um, the stuff does sort of look a little flatter than than most good pitchers, and I think that that's an illusion based on the camera angle.
1: Yeah, um, it looks to me almost like he's giving people a good look at the ball. I didn't, I mean, I can't tell these things, but yeah. his arm is just kind of out to the side, and it's sort of a almost like he's dart throwing a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. It works. Neither pitcher threw a pitch that was 91 miles per hour, I think. They were both it, just soft tossing, but very and precise. that's low
0: for him. I mean, that's low for Bumgarner. I think uh-huh. that I think that generally the consensus was that he actually didn't have very, very good stuff. That uh-huh. he had a tremendous command. His stuff may have still reflected. I mean, if as far as I could tell, the Giants were kind of concerned about two things. One was that his mechanics had become uh, completely messed up, and two was that he was probably tired. And those two things might have been related. They might not have been. Um, but they, it seems to me that they, they certainly fixed the mechanical issue. His command was as good as, as it can be. And I thought that the plot that you, the, the strike zone plot that you had in your recap, was, um, was, was tremendous. Um, and I think that um, it probably, I, I think that with pitchers generally, in, uh, you would rather maybe have a guy uh, with stuff than command. Uh, in like the big picture, like mm-hmm. if you could pick the command guy or the stuff guy, you'd pick the stuff guy. But in a single start, I think you would always rather have the command than the than the stuff. Yeah. And it's just it's hard to even for command pitchers, it's hard to consistently have that command. Even from inning to inning, it can be hard. And so I think that's maybe why you consider those guys a little bit um a little bit less reliable but within a start if you can have the command you can get away with a lot and you know zito doesn't have the stuff but he had the command for a night bumgarner right now doesn't quite have i don't think quite have the stuff and i mean i would still be nervous about him in game six i don't Mm -hmm. think that i don't think he's necessarily fixed yet he was certainly fixed for a start he had a good start he had great command but you know, two miles an hour less off his fastball, and just, I don't know, it didn't really look all that crisp to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just well-placed, and mm-hmm. that's a big part of pitching.
1: Yeah, and I thought uh, it was a well-called game um, by the umpire, Dan Isonia, behind the plate. Mm-hmm. I thought it did a good job, and really, if you look at the plot, only missed a few pitches and were so close that most umpires <laughs> would miss those pitches, Um so he wasn't really getting a, a whole lot of extra calls on the corners. He was just uh, really placing them perfectly. Um, and Fister was uh, not quite as sharp probably, but was also quite good. And I guess the thing that you remember most about his start is the line drive he took off his head, uh, which ricocheted all the way out into center field and was really about as hard hit as a ball can be that, I mean, that's a line drive up the middle. It was uh, scary for a second because we've seen a lot of bad things happen on plays like that and imagined even worse things happening. Uh, And he was completely fine. He took a couple warm-up pitches and showed absolutely no sign that it had affected him at all.
0: what did you think about the Tigers' decision to leave him out there?
1: Uh, I mean, I guess you pretty much have to trust him if he says he's okay. I mean, I, I don't know if if you can always tell if you have a concussion or something right away. Um, but I guess if he says he's, he's okay and and could throw pitches, fine. I, I don't know. I guess you leave him in until you see otherwise. Um, Tim McCarver said immediately after, uh, after the replay, that he th- thinks that we need helmets for pitchers and maybe we could have them as soon as next season, I think he said. Um, do you think that's something that we'll see ever or soon?
0: Um, I think that um, it's, it's hard to make predictions in sort of future landscapes. I don't think that it's something that is imminent right now uh, in baseball. Um, in a few years. It might be, but to me, there's not a lot of, uh, it's not a, uh, it's not a story that people spend much time talking about. There doesn't seem to be a lot of momentum in favor of it. Um, And it, um, it it would be, I think that it's probably a a few steps of safety down the line. I think there are other things that they would want to probably focus on before that. Um, So my guess is that it, it, it isn't going to necessarily be on Bud Selig's agenda at any point, but you know, in, in two years or in six years or something, it could be the case that it's the number one story we talk about and then it'll probably happen. I think once once things get talked about a lot, they happen. Right now, it's, it just doesn't get talked about all that much.
1: Well, I think you should write a Bob Nightingale-style column with your predictions predicting. about the helmet. Yeah. Um, I
0: I found it, I, I don't know, it was hard for me to decide whether I thought that uh, that they um whether that's a situation where you use an abundance of caution or not and I, I was thinking about if it had happened to me uh in my life if if i had been hit in the head by something real hard i wouldn't have gone to the doctor if i felt okay and there wouldn't have been anybody probably telling me to go to the doctor and if something kind of tragic had happened to me then um it would have been Obviously it would have been you know, it would be sad if something tragic happened to me and I I died of a head injury. But um, you just sort of you know, you don't as a as a person in the you know, who has to pay for their own health insurance and and all of those sorts of things, you do kinda try to you know, you let these things sort of slide Mm -hmm. and you know, I don't think I would have gone I've been hit in the head and not thought even once to to go to the doctor and I'm sure Doug Fister uh, I, I don't know what it was like for that ball to hit him on the head. I don't know how hard it hit him or anything like that. Um, the, the the Detroit Free Press talked to some brain guys, some brain doctors, who said that based on how hard the uh, you know how far the ball flew after, you could surmise that it wasn't a a real direct hit because so much of the energy of the ball remained mm-hmm. you know for it to, to go out. But the the difference between me and Doug Fister though, I think, is that. If I died of a head injury, or if I had some serious complications from a head injury, it would be a tragedy for my family. I think that there's a little bit more danger uh, with with Fister because we all watched it. You know, you don't, you just, you don't want that to be something that we all watch. You know, it would be, uh, it would be kind of more tragic if something happened on a baseball field. Mm -hmm. because it's a it's a sort of a shared experience so maybe you're more cautious because of of that I I don't know I'm not I'm kind of just rambling but
1: people talk about the helmet possibility in and around the time when someone gets hit in the head Mm -hmm. and then not in between head hits which tends to be most of the time uh which is I guess similar to people talking about something needing to be done about broken bats every now and then, someone gets impaled with a bat shard or almost gets impaled with a bat shard and we talk about how uh, a tragedy is inevitable and we should do something before it happens. Um, I don't know, I guess I can see the argument that if there's even a possibility, then you need to do something about it, but at the same time, Baseball has been played for a very long time without anyone getting killed by a broken bat or a wine drive uh, up the middle, it mm-hmm. seems. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it's either you can approach it as a probability thing and say, well, the odds are very low and, and we don't know how it will affect a pitcher to wear some sort of helmet on his head, uh, which you'd think would disrupt pitchers since pitching is such a delicate balance and so many things can go wrong. Um, or you could just say if there's any chance at all, then you just do it and worry about the consequences after that. I don't know um, which which camp I'm in exactly, but I, I think, I don't know. Uh, the fact that a tragedy hasn't happened so far is Maybe not the best reason not to do anything, but maybe it is kind of a persuasive reason not to do anything. I don't know.
0: Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's a persuasive reason not to do anything. I I would love for them to get – I mean all the things that are kind of dangerous in a ballpark, I would love for them to get ahead of them and and sort of make them not dangerous. The tricky thing though is that – I don't I, it's always hard to make something not dangerous and a lot of times there are kind of unintended consequences to safety measures mm-hmm. uh, like if you um there's a study about um bicyclists who wear helmets and um it actually turns out that um if you wear a bike helmet while you're bicycling cars don't give you as much space because they think that you're that you know what you're doing and that you're you know you're a, you're safe because you have a helmet. Uh-huh. So cars actually will come much closer to you. And so there's some there's some idea with with a lot of safety measures like this. Uh, certainly the same the same kind of controversy exists over football padding and football helmets, where the safer you make it, there are, can be unintended consequences that make it less safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what the unintended consequences of something on a pitcher's head would be. Um, I don't know if it would change the way that they play defense or if it would change their uh, I I, I mean I really don't know that's why they're unintended Um, but there's always that risk but I don't know I think that if you can make it safer nobody's against that and uh, it's usually I mean almost every safety measure that you take it's hard to convince that generation but after a couple of years it just becomes common sense I mean seatbelts for instance Uh, when I was growing up um, Seatbelts were just part of life When my parents were growing up Even though they were in the car, nobody wore them mm-hmm. They just they rebelled against them for no good reason So,
1: um, I guess the other notable thing From the game that I wrote about Was Jim Leland's decision Not to play the infield in With the bases loaded And no outs in the bottom of the 7th um, He let the infielders play back And they did get a double play Which was the goal but uh, a run scored on the double play, um, which proved to be the winning run. Uh, So there was some controversy about that, and I don't know, someone asked me about it late last night, what I thought about it, and I didn't have uh, a very clear opinion because it it almost seems like you'd think there would be a very clear uh, by-the-book way to approach Enfield in or out, Um, but I don't know. I don't know that there even was really a book on what, on what you do in that situation. I guess I sort of would expect most managers to play the infield in, in that situation, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not really a, a given, uh, or a no brainer that you automatically make that move and make yourself immune to criticism. Um, so I talked to Colin Wires about it for a 20 minutes or so, kind of asking him how you would even go about figuring out whether it was the right move. And there are just so many variables to consider. The, the pitcher, the hitter, who's up next, uh, what the likelihood of a bunt is. Uh, it's different if the bases are loaded than it is if, there's, if there are men on first and third. Um, and it's hard to say exactly what the effect on the likelihood of each outcome is uh it's hard to say exactly how much playing the infield back influences or or makes it more likely that you'll get a double play uh or how much more likely you are to get a play at home if you play the infield in and also how much more likely it is to uh to allow a hit so i don't know someone kind of asked me for my gut opinion of whether it was the right move or not, but it seemed to me almost immediately to be just something that my gut was entirely, uh, inadequate to make that call. Um, so Colin and then I looked at some run expectancy tables and, and sort of came to the, uh, not really firm conclusion that it did make sense to play the infield back that, that the Giants, uh, run expectancy was, higher in that situation with, uh, one out and the base is still loaded than it would have been, uh, with two outs and a man on third and a run already in. So there's that. Um,
0: I, uh, I had some issues with that though uh-huh. in the way that you did it. Uh-huh. I think, um, first off though, um, it, in the most simplistic way you could possibly look at this, which I think gets you almost, almost to the answer. um, you look at the best case scenario um, of of each of each place, and the best case scenario, of course, is with the with the infield back. You get a double play, which they got, and with the infield in, you get the runner out at home. Which uh, so you assume that in your run expectancy tables, the advantage goes to playing back, and so you have half of the equation is best case scenario, and then in the worst case scenario, um, you have a more likely chance of getting a base hit with the infield in theoretically i mean Mm -hmm. i guess there's always like the liner or something i don't know there's there's it's not totally uh 100 foolproof to say that but that's why you don't play the infield in Mm because it's more likely that they get a base hit so if the best case scenario favors infield back and the worst case scenario favors infield back then it seems pretty simple that you play infield back my issue with you using run expectancy though is that you showed that there are more runs scored um, in the best-case scenario uh, with the infield in than with the infield back, right? You found that the run expectancy with uh, bases loaded and one out is 1.3 runs, Mm -hmm. and the run expectancy with after a double play would be 1.5 runs. Uh, Sorry, vice versa, right? Yeah, vice versa. Yeah, so the lower number is for the double play. But... The run ex- I don't think run expectancy is the right thing to do that late was, in the game. I was the, thinking the that too,
1: because I mean, you, you care about the, the first run.
0: The value of the first run is so much greater than the value of the second run when you're talking about that late in the game. Right. And I think if you had looked at win expectancy, I don't know what, what you would have found.
1: Yeah, I don't but know I exactly where the... I guess how you decide whether uh, win expectancy or run expectancy is what you want to use where exactly... what point in the game that is, because... I don't know. It's not like a a one nothing game in the seventh is, uh, or really in the top of the eighth is, is out of hand or anything.
0: It's uh, not out of hand, but most of the time you're going to lose that game. When you when you fall behind by one, most of the time you're not getting that run back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Anyway. is that
0: right? I mean, I could be wrong about that, but I,
1: I guess right. that's well. I don't know if you score. If you average five runs a game or whatever it is, um, and you have yeah, but against relievers who so have yeah.
0: you're talking about against relievers who are going to have mid two ERAs.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I think it's it's hard to have a very definitive answer, and so I would be inclined not to uh, blame Leland too much either way. No,
0: I wouldn't either. I thought I I was surprised at how the numbers seemed to justify him, and I, I thought that it. Um, was a complicated issue but um, but it, it, I mean you convinced me probably with your run expectancies I'm not sure that's the best way to do it but mm-hmm. it was pretty convincing to me as well and I was surprised actually I wouldn't have thought that it, that would have been so and uh, is so is he faced do you know if he has been criticized much for it is this uh,
1: a, I don't know because I, I was watching the game on a delay so I wasn't on twitter and didn't see the reaction um but a few people asked me what i thought of it so i assumed that there was some level of of controversy or discussion about it um and and, and on the broadcast they talked about it immediately after the play um almost anticipating that people would wonder why he had decided to do that so i'm sure some people questioned
0: it so imagine that the – let's imagine that they um, – and it this actually might have been the case. I didn't see um, like a full view of the field. But imagine that the ball had gone to the shortstop. And at that point, the shortstop actually had a choice, throw home <laughs> or turn two. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I would bet that just about every shortstop every time would throw home in that situation.
1: Yeah, I would think so.
0: Uh, so – but I don't – I mean – that doesn't mean they're right. My instinct was to play the infield in too. So yeah. maybe it's just an instinct thing that you fear that run. But yeah, I think that almost without fail, like if that ball had been chopped to the third baseman or to the first baseman, I think almost without fail, they go home.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, maybe that's just people being too risk-averse or not being want- or not wanting to be blamed for... Allowing that run to score or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. maybe not. Maybe they're right. I don't know. That was my kind of gut feeling too, but I didn't trust it. Uh, um,
0: so the Giants, I think, by my simplistic calculations, which are probably wrong, I think are now like something like 82% likely to win the series. That would match up very
1: well with the empirical uh, results for uh, a team that went up two games in the World Series, which is 79% went on to win.
0: So the odds of coming back um, are about the same as filling your flush on the last card that you get oh. in Texas Hold'em. So that happens every day. That happens constantly. So the and tigers would, are not out of it. And I would,
1: I would raise the odds a little for the tigers, uh, just compared to what I imagine those that group of losing teams was. Um, I would. I would guess the Tigers have a, a better shot than the average team right. on Toulouse. Than the uh,
0: 1998 Padres, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Probably not in the same class. Probably not. Uh, all right. Well, we'll uh, be back on Monday. And, and in fact, on Monday, we might actually know. It yes. might be over.
1: we might be discussing the end.
0: It could be over. Don't, <laughs> don't let anybody forget that I predicted a 50% chance of a Giants sweep.
1: <laughs> okay. We'll be back with 71 on Monday.